Mr. President, distinguished senators, counsel, like several of you, I am a child of immigrants. And as a son of immigrants, I believe firmly in my heart that the United States is the greatest republic that this world has ever known. A hallmark of our republic since the days of George Washington has been the peaceful transfer of power. For centuries, we've accepted it as fact. Unfortunately, sadly, we know now that we can no longer take that for granted. Because as lead manager Raskin explained on January 6th, the peaceful transition of power was violently interrupted when a mob stormed this Capitol and desecrated this chamber. As you'll see during the course of this trial, that mob was summoned, assembled, and incited by the former President of the United States, Donald Trump. And he did that because he wanted to stop the transfer of power so that he could retain power, even though he had lost the election. And when the violence erupted, when they were here in our building with weapons, he did nothing to stop it. If we are to protect our republic and prevent something like this from ever happening again, he must be convicted. Now, I want to be very clear about what we will show you during the course of this trial. As my fellow managers present our case to you today, tonight, tomorrow, it'll be helpful to think about President Trump's incitement of insurrection in three distinct parts. The attack, the provocation, the attack, and the harm. Let's start with the provocation. We will show during the course of this trial that this attack was provoked by the president, incited by the president. And as a result, it was predictable and it was foreseeable. And of course, that makes sense. And this mob was well orchestrated. Their conduct was intentional. They did it all in plain sight, proudly, openly, and loudly. Because they believed, they truly believed that they were doing this for him. That this was their patriotic duty. They even predicted that he would protect them. And for the most part, they were right. In his unique role as commander-in-chief of our country, and as the one person that the mob was listening to and following orders from, he had the power to stop it. And he didn't. Now some have said that President Trump's remarks, his speech on January 6th, was just a speech. Well, let me ask you this. When in our history has a speech 
led thousands of people to storm our nation's capital with weapons, to scale the walls, break windows, kill a Capitol police officer. This was not just a speech. It didn't just happen. And as you evaluate the facts that we present to you, it will become clear exactly where that mob came from. Because here's the thing, President Trump's words, as you'll see on January 6th, in that speech, just like the mob's actions were carefully chosen, those words had a very specific meaning to that crowd. And how do we know this? Because in the weeks prior to, during, and after the election, he used the same words over and over and over again. You will hear over and over three things. You can see them on the screens. First, what lead manager Raskin referred to as the big lie. That the election was stolen, full of fraud, rigged. You will hear over and over him using that lie to urge his supporters to never concede and stop the steal. And finally, you will hear the call to arms, that it was his supporters' patriotic duty to fight like hell. To do what? To stop the steal. To stop the election from being stolen by showing up in this very chamber. To stop you. To stop us. I'd respectfully ask that you remember those three phrases as you consider the evidence today. Election was stolen, stop the steal, and fight like hell because they did not just appear on January 6th. Let me show you what I mean. Let's start with the big lie. You will see during this trial that the president realized really by last spring that he could lose, he might lose, the election. So what did he do? He started planting the seeds to get some of his supporters ready by saying that he could only lose the election if it was stolen. I mean, in other words, really what he did is create a no-lose scenario. Either he won the election or he would have some angry supporters, not all, but some, who believed that if he lost, the election had to be rigged. And they would be angry because he was telling Americans that their vote had been stolen. And in America, our vote is our voice. So his false claims about election fraud, that was the drumbeat being used to inspire instigate and ignite them, to anger them. Watch this clip. Because we're not going to let this election be taken away from us. That's the only way they're going to win it. We're not going to let it happen. It's the only way we can be, it's the only way we can lose, in my opinion, is massive fraud. 
We all know what happened after that. He lost. He lost the election. But remember, he had that no-lose scenario that I referenced earlier. He told his base that the election was stolen, as he had forecasted. And then he told them, your election has been stolen, but you cannot concede. You must stop the steal. You can't let another person steal that election from you. All over the country, people are together in holding up signs, stop the steal. The Democrats are trying to steal the White House. You cannot let them. You just can't let them. Now, while he's inciting his supporters, he's also simultaneously doing everything he possibly can to overturn the election. First, he begins with the courts, a legitimate avenue, legitimate avenue to challenge the election. But he ignores all of their adverse rulings when all of his claims are thrown out. Then he moves on to trying to pressure state election officials to block the election results for his opponent, even though he'd lost in their states. You'll hear my fellow managers discuss that in detail. Then he tries to threaten state election officials to actually change the votes, to make him the winner even threatening criminal penalties if they refused. He had the Justice Department investigate his claims. And even they found no support for those claims. So he tried to persuade some members of his party in Congress to block the certification of his vote with attacks in public forums. When that failed, he tried to intimidate the Vice President of the United States of America, to refuse to certify the vote and send it back to the states. None of it worked. So, what does he do? With his back against the wall, when all else has failed, he turns back to his supporters who he'd already spent months telling them that the election was stolen, and he amplified it further. He turned it up a notch. He told them that they had to be ready not just to stop the steal, but to fight like hell. We're going to fight for the survival of our nation, and we are going to keep on fighting. We will never surrender. We will only win. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time to fight harder than ever before. We have to go all the way. We're going to fight like hell, I'll tell you right now. We will not bend. We will not break. We will not yield. We will never give in. We will never give up. We will never back down. We will never, ever surrender. You will see that in the months as the president made these statements, people listened. Armed supporters surrounded election officials' homes. The Secretary of State for Georgia got death threats. Officials warned the president that his rhetoric was dangerous and it was going to result 
in deadly violence. And that's what makes this so different because when he saw firsthand the violence that his conduct was creating, he didn't stop it. He didn't condemn the violence. He incited it further. And he got more specific. He didn't just tell them to fight like hell. He told them how, where, and when. He made sure they had advance notice, 18 days advance notice. He sent his save the date for January 6th. He told them to march to the Capitol and fight like hell. On January 6th, as lead manager Raskin said, the exact same day that we were certifying the election results. What time was that rally scheduled for? The exact same time that this chamber was certifying the election results in joint session. When did he conclude his speech? Literally moments before Speaker Pelosi had gaveled us into session. Many of us were in the House during that joint session of Congress. I was sitting two rows behind Leader Schumer and Leader McConnell. I remember it vividly. And as we were standing there, fulfilling our solemn oath to the Constitution, the President was finishing his speech just a couple of miles away. How did he conclude that infamous speech? With a final call to action. He told them to march down Pennsylvania Avenue to come here. That it was their patriotic duty because the election had been stolen. And when they heard his speech, they understood his words and what they meant because they had heard it before. Let's take just a minute and really look at his words on January 6th as he spoke at the Save America rally. Now, remember, I told you, you'd hear three phrases. The election was stolen, stop the steal, and fight like hell. Let's start with that first phrase. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen. There's never been anything like this. It's a pure theft in American history. Everybody knows it. Make no mistake, this election was stolen from you, from me, and from the country. Now, of course, each of you heard those words before. So had the crowd. The president had spent months telling his supporters that the election had been stolen, and he used this speech to incite them further, to inflame them, to stop the steal, to stop the certification of the election results. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. And to use a favorite term that all of you people really came up with, we will stop the steal. We must stop the steal. Finally, the president used this speech as a call to arms. It was not rhetorical. Some of his supporters had been primed for this over many months. As you'll learn, days before this speech, as lead manager Raskin noted, 
There were vast reports across all major media outlets that thousands of people would be armed, that they'd be violent. You'll learn that Capitol Police and the FBI reported in the days leading up to the attack that thousands in the crowd would be targeting the Capitol specifically, that they had arrested people with guns the night before the attack on weapons charges. And this is what our commander-in-chief said to the crowd in the face of those warnings right before they came here. We will not let them silence your voices. We're not going to let it happen. Not going to let it happen. Thank you. And you have to get your people to fight because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. And we fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. You have to get your people to fight. He told them. Senators, this clearly was not just one speech. It didn't just happen. It was part of a carefully planned months-long effort with a very specific instruction. Show up on January 6th and get your people to fight the certification. He incited it. It was foreseeable. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. The president's former chief of staff, the retired Marine, four-star general, was confirmed by this body to be the Secretary of Homeland Security. Overwhelmingly, overwhelming vote. That man was John Kelly. And on the day after the insurrection, he said this. You know, the president knows who he's talking to when he tweets or when he makes statements. He knows who he's talking to. He knows, he knows what uh, he wants them to do. And uh, the fact that uh, he said the things he's been saying, the things he's been saying since the election, um, and encouraging people, no surprise again uh, what happened yesterday. No surprise. Think about that. No surprise. The president had every reason to know that this would happen because he assembled the mob, he summoned the mob, and he incited the mob. He knew when he took that podium on that fateful morning that those in attendance had heeded his words and they were waiting for his orders to begin fighting. And that, of course, brings me, my fellow managers, to what happened here in this building. As lead manager Raskin stated, uh, my colleagues are going to walk through the ev events of January 6th and the evidence in very great detail. Uh, they are painful to watch and to recount, and I'm not going to repeat the evidence now. But I do want to be clear about what also happened during that terrible attack, and that is this, that President Trump once again failed us. Because when the violence 
erupted when we and the law enforcement officials protecting us, protecting you, were under attack as each of you were being evacuated from this chamber from a violent mob as we were being evacuated from the house, he could have immediately and forcefully intervened to stop the violence. It was his duty as commander-in-chief to stop the violence, and he alone had that power. Not just because of his unique role as commander-in-chief, but because they believed that they were following his orders. They said so. I thought I was following my president. I thought I was following what we were called to do. President Trump requested that we be in D.C. on the 6th. You heard it from them. They were doing what he wanted them to do. They wouldn't have listened to you, to me, to the vice president of the United States who they were attacking. They didn't stop in the face of law enforcement, police officers fighting for their lives to stop them. They were following the president. He alone, our commander-in-chief, had the power to stop it. And he didn't. You will hear evidence tonight, tomorrow, throughout the trial about his refusal as commander-in-chief to respond to numerous desperate pleas on the phone, across social media, begging him to stop the attack. And you will see his relentless attack on Vice President Pence, who was at that very moment hiding with his family as armed extremists were chanting, hang Mike Pence, calling him a traitor. You will see that even when he did finally, three and a half hours into the attack, tell these people to go home in peace, he added, as lead manager Raskin said, I'll quote, you're very special. We love you. Think for a moment, just a moment, of the lives lost that day, of the more than 140 wounded police officers, and ask yourself if as soon as this had started, President Trump had simply gone onto TV, just logged onto Twitter and said, stop the attack. If he had done so with even half as much force as he said, stop the steal. How many lives would we have saved? Sadly, he didn't do that. At the end of the day, the president was not successful in stopping the certification. That we know, thanks to the bravery of our law enforcement and to the bravery of the senators in this room. Each of you who still fulfilled your constitutional duty even under the threat of mortal peril. But there can be no doubt 
of the grave harm that he caused. To our elected leaders, to us, our families, to all who work in the Capitol, our staff, your staff, to our brave Capitol Police who defend us tirelessly with little thanks, who believed that they had a commander-in-chief who would defend and protect them and instead put them in harm's way, to those killed for heeding his command, to our democracy and the system which ensures that we have a president elected by the people, to our national security and our standing in the world. The harm was real. The damage was real. Five people lost their lives on that terrible, tragic day. A woman was shot dead 50 feet from where we later certified the election results. And for those who question just how bad it was, criminal complaints recently unsealed by the Department of Justice are more than revealing. You'll see one of these documents on the screen. In the charging affidavit of one of the leaders of the Proud Boys, we learned that members of this group said, I'm going to quote, they would have killed Mike Pence if given the chance. In another, we learned of a tweet in real time while they were in the building stating, we broke into the Capitol. We got inside. We did our part. We were looking for Nancy Pelosi to shoot her in the frickin' brain, but we didn't find her. And for anyone who suggests otherwise, these defendants themselves have told you exactly why they were here. You'll see this in the trial. That in the halls of the Capitol, on social media, in news interviews, and in charging documents, they confirm they were following the president's orders. You can see some of the statements on that screen. One who said, Trump wants all able-bodied patriots. Another, that President Trump is calling us to fight. This isn't a joke. Another one, I thought I was following my president. I thought I was following what we were called to do. Our president wants us here. We wait and take orders from the president. He made them believe over many weeks that the election was stolen and they were following his command to take back their country. As I prepared for today, yesterday, this trial, one memory that I couldn't shake, which was on the night of January 6th, and the feeling of walking back onto the House floor and seeing many of you there. I remember us finishing our task at 4 in the morning. And as, off, as I walked off the floor, I was so grateful, so grateful for the opportunity to thank the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, for his actions, for standing before us and asking us to follow our oath and our faith and our duty. 
We only got a couple of hours of sleep that morning. Early the next day, I called my dad, who came to this country, as I mentioned, as an immigrant 40 years ago. And I told him that the proudest moment by far of serving in Congress for me was going back onto the floor with each of you to finish the work that we had started. I'm humbled to be back with you today. And just as on January 6th, when we overcame that attack on our capital, on our country, I'm hopeful that at this trial, we can use our resolve and our resilience to again uphold our democracy by faithfully applying the law, vindicating the Constitution, and holding President Trump accountable for his actions.